This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of scripture. Yeah, I became interested in children's Bibles July 2014. I was taking a class on the book of Judges with Bruce Waltke, and um, he was talking about the theological, literary, and historical lenses for looking at the biblical text and then putting all three of those together. And when you do that with the book of Judges, you get this downward spiral mm-hmm. of, of Judges. Um, and Samson is at the bottom. So the worst judge, the lowest allegiance to Yahweh, if he even sort of knows who Yahweh is. And it's questionable by the end. Questionable, yeah. yeah. And yet he has this, Samson has this grand introduction uh, where the angel appears to his mom. So you expect great things out of him. And then... Really, he ends up being very self-serving at the end. His final prayer um, is one of personal vengeance uh, against the Philistines for poking out his eyes. Um, and there's no sense in that prayer that he is looking for Yahweh's deliverance of Israel. Um, and and I had grown up hearing Samson is the hero, uh, as is probably a common experience mm-hmm. for people. Um, and so when when we read in light of these these three these three reading avenues, um, I was so surprised that I hadn't learned this sooner. Uh, and I wondered why wasn't I trained to read this way as a child? Um, and that question percolated in the back of my mind for, Four years, five years, um, I started reading children's Bibles uh, to my nephews and was realizing a lot of these are just telling them how to behave Mm. uh, and really reducing the biblical text to a single moral lesson, um, omitting a lot of details that are, I would argue, important for interpretation. Uh, And so that's when I when I started thinking, I think I have, I think I have to look at this. I think there are some things to say and to critique about these children's Bibles. So that's when I started, I, I wrote my first paper on moralism in children's Bibles. Um, and then I, I pivoted to looking at what are the interpretive consequences of additions and omissions hmm. in children's Bibles? So looking at, for example, the book of Judges, um, and Judges 4 to 5, in that's the story of Deborah and Barak and Yael. And when when Deborah, um, in, in that story, uh, the geography is really important. And yet the geography is omitted from mm-hmm. almost all children's Bibles. So I, I, for example, wanted to look at that and see what are the consequences of omitting that. Now, geography is really Im- difficult for children to understand. Um, but if this is interpretively important for understanding what's going on in this text, 
maybe there are ways that we can retell even the geography portion mm. that would help aid children in their interpretation and understanding of of that story. And that was just one example. You could do that throughout the whole Bible. Yeah, and that's 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 a really good example uh, too, because I, I assume the assumption is, um, well, children, you know, almost this like, well, children can't understand the mm-hmm. tavor and hatzor and the importance of the fleeing and uh, the location of the Kenites in that story and mm-hmm. the, the the great uh, interpolation of the the Kenites in there at that strategic moment when you're like, not quite sure why they're telling you about the Kenites in their tents. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, sorry, you got me, got me monologuing <laughs> one of my, my favorite. It's like such a beautifully <laughs> told story. Oh, uh, not to great. mention the poetry that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, well, I got I have so many questions at this point. Let me just get them in order in my head. First of all, how far back do children's Bibles go? Like when did this become a thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's a little bit contested in the research. So the literature on children's Bibles is very, very small. Hmm. Um, and one of one of the major and earliest um, English uh, English scholars on or writing in English scholars on children's Bibles is Ruth Bodigheimer. Um, and she argues that children's Bibles started, uh, being produced in the 12th century. Mm. Now, these children's Bibles didn't bear very much resemblance right. to modern children's Bibles. They were kind of early retellings of the text that were actually intended for university students. So the earliest one is the Historica, Scholast- uh, Historica Scholastica. Um, by Peter Comister, and he he was he was writing that for university students, but then it ended up being received by by families um, who wanted to help their children understand uh, the biblical text. So that's the earliest the earliest identified one. Again, it's arguable whether it's a children's Bible or not. Was it a it simplified, like a paraphrased version of story? It's like a paraphrase retelling yeah. of the biblical story. Um, but it's become classified as the earliest children's Bible because it was used for children, but it wasn't initially written for children. Um, The earliest one that was written for children was by Martin Luther, actually. Mm. Um, And, and it's not super well known. It doesn't appear in a lot of surveys of Martin Luther's work, um, but it was part of a prayer book and an adaptation of some Old Testament stories and then some New Testament stories. And that one was written for children and simple folk, hmm. is is what he says in the introduction to it. So that's kind of the first um, retelling of the biblical story that specifically had children in view. Um, and so this, again, would have been right around the Reformation. So these have been going on for, for centuries, um, and yet haven't really had much scholarly interaction hmm. until about the 1980s. There was a little bit before then, um, but not very much, not very much English language interaction with children's Bibles um, until the, about the last 40 years. Uh, and what so what it's, happened it, in the last 40 years? Unclear. 
<laughs> well, definitely a heightened interest in, uh, lit- uh, I say, literature and Bible, right? So And children's literature. Yeah. And I wonder if it's a heightened interest in um, other voices, other experiences. Mm. So I've noticed that this really course, this uh, rise in, in interest in children's Bibles, um, really corresponds with a uh, growing interest in um, in women's Bibles and women's voices in voices um, of interpretation from around the world. So I wonder if, if it has to do with um, uh, noticing how, how uh, traditionally othered groups mm. um, have experienced and interacted with the Bible. I, I, uh, I'm wondering if you, because I'm flashing over, it's almost Rosh Hashanah, or it's Rosh Hashanah right now, depending yeah. on where you're at, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Shana Tovah to all of our Jewish listeners. But um, mm-hmm. part of, and it's not just a Jewish thing, it goes back to the Torah that, you know, the very first mm-hmm. festival given is instructed, and when your children ask you in the days to come, you are to uh, yeah. tell them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Joshua, uh, what are these? The, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You shall dwell in booths for seven days so that your generations will know it's, it's implied in the Torah that children are right there in the storytelling of the history of Israel and that, that that's formative and shaping and not to mention Deuteronomy 6 and, you know, all the other obvious spots a children's pastor would go to to justify their job. Um, <laughs> so so do you see a, a big distinction between the Christian – like that? this is – is this a Christian thing? Are, are Jews mm. at all interested in children's Bibles, children's Tanakhs? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. So Jewish children's Bibles ended up – um uh starting a little bit later um 18th 19th century and they started in in Germany um and then spread across the world um and so there there is a history of children uh, Jewish children's bibles mm-hmm. as well um there has been some observation by scholars in in children's bibles um that distinctions between confessions um, have uh, throughout the 20th century have become less and less. And there's more of sort of a cross-confessional emphasis on um, whether it's a Jewish children's Bible or a Christian mm. children's Bible, um, making them more accessible to the broadest possible audience. Um, so I'm not going to find yeah. an Armenian's children's Bible, like the dispensationalist. I, no, I bet there is a Scofield's probably, children's Bible. I bet you could find one if you looked for it. So actually, this is a project that I'm working on right now. Um, but looking at um, some popular uh, children's Bibles from Catholic, Jewish, mm. um, and Protestant um, confessions written in about the last 30 years. And seeing, is this true? Is, is what's going on here? Um, this kind of uh, cross-confessional emphasis um, being available to um, a broad audience. Is this actually really happening in children's Bibles? Um, What are the underlying um, interpretive influences that seem to be coming out in the text? Um, Aside from the author's stated influences, Mm -hmm. I'm looking more at implicit influences um, and seeing... um, are the confessions borrowing from each other in some of these 
influences in the ways that they might retell Genesis 1-1, for example? Um, is there an influence uh, from creation ex nihilo perspective? Mm-hmm. Or are you getting sort of a, a, a functional ontology from John Walton coming out in any right. of these? Are you getting sort of a, a material creation? Um, how is that ambiguity of the the um, the original Hebrew being interpreted uh, in in these different children's Bibles. Hmm. So, I I also wonder uh, yeah. that you know some some scholars would say that childhood is kind of a recent invention, uh, and so how childhoodism or childhood studies fit into this as well. That kind of the invention of childhood is a recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this comes out especially um, in a number of scholars, but especially in Ruth Bodigheimer's work. So she kind of takes um, a longitudinal look at children's Bibles from all the way back in the 12th century to present day, which would have been about the 1980s. And she observes a a transition in children's Bibles um, that's related to the question of what's appropriate for children. Mm -hmm. So in the earlier, this is, again, broadly speaking, but in the earlier children's Bibles, um, you see a lot more willingness to engage with sexuality and violence. Um, They're not shying away from things (laughs) that now we would consider inappropriate for children. And partly, uh, there are some who argue that that is due to the perception of children as inherently sinful. And then about about John Locke, the Enlightenment, right about then, you have this idea that children are innocent, blank slates, and a About the same time, there's a shift in children's Bibles to starting to omit more of that violent, uh, highly sexual material, um, and sort of more of a a romantic pastoral view of the child that starts to come out. And corresponding with that is our changes in the portrayal of God. Um, So instead of the harsh judge, God becomes... um, a loving father. Uh, there's all these different kinds of of movements that that correspond with that that change in the perception of children in childhood. So that's that's a major discussion. Um, and then taking a step back from that, in in a sense, there there is this question of. Um, how do we see children? Because how we see children affects how we're going to tell the biblical story to them and how we're going to permit them to engage with the Bible and the biblical text. Um, So if we see them as innocent, we're going to want to withhold the biblical text from them. Um, And and that's one of the the things that I I really question is – is withholding the biblical text from children, the, these um, difficult or objectionable narratives, is that actually helping them understand the Bible and come to terms with some of these um, these challenging stories, these challenging depictions of God even? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do we do with the Akedah, with Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. What do we do with the plagues and the death of the firstborn? What do we do with the story of Noah <laughs> and and um, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob? 
and David. Yeah, and yep. I mean, we could go it's on the and way on. Down, yeah, 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 absolutely. That, yeah, that's great. Um, be, because uh, I read a book by Joffrey Rees a while back called the, the Romance of Innocent Sexuality, where he opened my mind to a lot of these things. I would not mm-hmm. recommend it. It's a very tough read. Uh, <laughs> a lot of Augustine and Foucault. So it's not for the light, uh, lighthearted reader. But um, but just this idea that it, it is kind of dangerous what you romanticize because whatever gets romanticized gets fetishized. Mm-hmm. It gets, you know, so like – he makes a simple observation that this kind of romanticizing the innocence of children's sexuality has this other effect, like cute culture then starts to come yes. on the rise and maintaining children as these cute objects, you know, takes supremacy and everything else. And it creates mm-hmm. all kinds of wonky lenses through which we look at our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do wonder, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how you could ever answer this question, but if, Deuteronomy 6 or the teaching of children like what God has done for us, I mean, they seem to have something like a Genesis account in their mind. And Mm -hmm. Genesis is a fairly X-rated account at points. Uh, And so it it makes you wonder pedagogically what ancient Hebrews thought children could handle, as Mm -hmm. it were. Um, If you could give us one or two examples of things where you see like these are glare, like when I saw this, I see somebody monkeying with the text or really taking a hard view, hard line view on what children can and cannot should or should mm-hmm. not receive. Mm. Do you have someone's like, cause you said out of the gates, July of 2014. <laughs> so there's some clearly some specifically nodal spots in your life where things change. So are there some go-to examples that you just like, look, if you're, if you don't believe me, like listen to what these people did with this story. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's one children's Bible that I've interacted with that leaves out sin. Oh, well, yeah. It's a yeah, minor, so minor figure that's in, a, in scripture. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, it is for younger children, so it's probably toddler age. Okay. Um, but it's not clear at all why Jesus has to come and die. Mm. Um, so it's narratively disjointed. Mm. Um and even, I would argue, that even little kids can tell. They can tell when something doesn't hold together. They can tell when something doesn't make sense. Um, just think of all the why questions yeah. <laughs> that well, they're even always that, asking. That, yeah. That category of sin, I mean, like, yeah, I've got four kids, and mm-hmm. some of them clearly just did not believe that they were sinners. Like, they really, <laughs> like, woke up every morning thinking they were good to go, you know? And so, like... We had to teach them long and thorough ways uh, in which they are sinners. So, no. Okay. So that's a great one. We're not, we don't need to name any names of these Bibles, by the way. So you can throw one under the bus if you like, but. That's okay. They all have pretty much the same name. It has the word Bible, illustrated, storybook. So I can never remember the names of them because they're so similar. How much of the sales of these things, I mean, we're talking on the publishing side, yeah. is the illustration, like, uh, and then how much, like, I assume, like, regular Bibles for adults, um, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into why Bibles are translated a certain way, and it's not always because that's what the translators wanted. It's because, right. hey, if you translate it this way, we can't sell that to 
to Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever, Methodist. Um, and so it's a Bible sales issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you get similar things with illustration or what they choose to include or exclude? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's part of the reason for some of the cross-confessional mm. um, flattening, I suppose. Um, that makes it sound more negative, but just observationally. <laughs> Similarity, I suppose. Cross-confessional, like, could you give an example of what you mean by that, just so we're clear? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let me, let me think of a good example. So um, that might be like... Um, basically in, if you want a Christian children's Bible to appeal to a Jewish audience, you're going to sort of flatten the Christological okay. reading yeah. of the old Testament, for example. Um, Maybe some even of them, pump up the Jewishness of Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> pump up the Jewishness of Jesus. If you're a Jewish, a Jewish um, children's Bible, then you might sort of flatten some of the, the Jewish emphases of the Old Testament in order to appeal to a Christian audience. Um, and so that could potentially uh, be evidence in children's Bible publication of, of this desire to sell um, as broadly as possible. Uh, there is also a movement in in Christian uh, Christian and Jewish children's Bible publication um, uh, about uh, over the course of the 20th century um, towards entertainment. Mm. Um, so you see that in um, more a move towards cartoonish illustration, um, a move towards, again, omitting anything that would be complicated or objectionable. So, I mean, Noah's Ark is the easiest go-to and has also been the most broadly written on in children's Bible research. Uh, but a, a move towards look at the cute animals, don't look at God's judgment. Right. Um, Don't look at the bodies floating in the water, kids. Just look at the ones with the exactly, boat. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We need a tight shot is, on the boat for this one. <laughs> there is actually an article that looks at different illustrations of of the flood narrative in children's Bibles. And again, all the way from there are bodies floating in the water and a mother holding an infant mm. and crying out and they're drowning and you can see the suffering of the oh, people. Wow. All the way to... You just have cartoon animals that could easily go up on a nursery wall, happily entering the ark. So. Okay. I, I mean, I when I teach on Noah's uh, flood in class, I always, before I start knocking, I, I admit our first nursery for our first child was all Noah themed, which now, like, I did not <laughs> know I was going to be an Old Testament professor at this point. So, yeah. I look back and I'm like, that is the most absurd decoration for a child to surround them with. I mean, well, we could we could have done it right, but we didn't. We did a fluffy version. So, um, yeah. And so, yeah. Do we? Do you have any Bibles out there with like scratch and sniff? You know, like the garden, and then like the the bloated animal bodies. You know, or something like that. <laughs> that that I'm sure would be a big seller. <laughs> yeah. Publishers, if you're listening, I got a book idea for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I don't think I've run across any scratch and sniff. I think I have seen some that are, you know, the audio, you push the button. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, 
But there's there's been like aside from children's Bibles, there's a long history of um, corresponding material. So especially in 18th, 19th century, you have um, alphabet Bible mm-hmm. books or um, you know learn to read books. Sometimes you have um, you have um, paper dolls and all these right. all these different kinds of anything you could think of. Bible related. Yes. It was published at some point in time. And to be fair, like this, mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder how much of this is just partaking in Bible publishing industry, the industrial Bible publishing mm-hmm. complex. Cause I mean, there is a Bible, like you, you name any flavor of anything and they'll put mm-hmm. a Bible version of it out there. And I think exactly. it, it might go in that order too. So exactly. you mix martial arts. Here's the Bible for mix <laughs> martial arts, daily devotionals, you know, Jim bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, is there a um, – is there, you know, I don't want you – again, you don't have to rank any of them here. But do you feel like there's one that kind of – they get it. They, they get what biblical literature is doing and they really do try to portray that in some way, even if they're constrained by publisher, publisher concerns? Mm-hmm. I would say yes and no. Um, fair. it's a good covers all the bases tough but Um, fair (laughs) so no i'm regularly asked what's the best children's bible of course yeah and there there isn't one just like what's the best translation there isn't one they all have their pros and cons their different values um their different benefits their different drawbacks their different angles um so so there are a lot of children's Bibles, especially in about the last 10 years that really take um, sort of emphasize different angles Mm. on, on the text. Um, And so I actually think that there's a lot of value to reading each of those. Um, None of them are sufficient in and of themselves, but they all add value to a child's experience of the text. So one might emphasize justice in children's Bibles, Mm. justice in the biblical text, for example. Um, And another might emphasize the sinfulness of humanity. Uh, And they're they're all right, and they're all wrong in some ways, too. in in the the multivocality of of the biblical text, uh, yes, justice is in there. That's not incorrect, but also, mm-hmm. um, and so actually, I think there's a lot of value to reading multiple children's Bibles with these very specific emphases because you do see. Um, you know, justice, for example, being carried through the entire biblical narrative. Um, and then you go and read another one and you see the sinfulness of humanity mm. and God's graciousness being carried through the biblical narrative. And so, so I think there is a lot of value to seeing that the story is all of these things. Yeah. Final question. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you're asked, uh, mm-hmm. will we be expecting to see Rachel Wachowski's uh, children's Bible <laughs> on the market soon? <laughs> Definitive children's Bible. Yeah. You should call I... it the illustrated and true children's Bible. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the final word yeah. on children's Bibles. Yeah. Um, no, I think at least at this point, 
I am too intimidated to write a children's Bible because of the critiques that I have of other children's right. Bibles. I think I would fit more into um, a, a project similar to to what I was talking about with the, the different angles that one could take on children's Bibles. I think that would be really fun, actually, to kind of... Um, there's there's a lack of of resources for preteen children and mm. helping them um, learn to interact thoughtfully with the biblical text, um, and so that's that's kind of something interesting percolating in the back of my mind um, would be sort of a small introductory devotional um, w- using the actual language of the biblical text, um, a few questions that help them see in light of literary, theological, and historical emphases of the text. Um, and that that is, you know, half a year, a year long, once a week, um, but takes multiple different angles, guides them through um, the, the kind of various... Um, things that scripture is about. Mm. So it's about justice. It's about judgment. It's about grace. It's about forgiveness. Um, it's about salvation. All of these different things that it is about, but it's not only about. Right. That, that is a project that I think would be exciting to me as helping helping kids learn to interact with the biblical text and to see, to notice yeah, well, I mean, you're teaching how to how to how to read uh, alongside mm-hmm. how to read the Bible, the biblical text. I do remember that question now, and, and yeah. it's you began by talking about a lot of these translations or interpretations. Uh, they move into moralism pretty quickly. They try to derive a single moral or, or principle, um, and I think as a Hebrew Bible scholar, like that's mm-hmm. one of the toughest things for my students who haven't really read the scriptures. So they, when they have their own July 2014 moment. Um, is that there's really not a lot of uh, the narrator of the stories is not giving kind of any moral advice, and they're just mm-hmm. describing raw behavior and oh, for mm-hmm. you know hundreds of pages sometimes. Um, do you feel like is that a danger of a, of a children's Bible? Is that at some you know at some point you have to say like and that was wrong? Which with mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. students I just say well I don't know let's see if it was or not. You know you can have them hang out. Mm-hmm. With a five year old it seems a little. Worse to say, and Abram prostituted his wife out for a second time. Let's see how that turns out, kids. You know. <laughs> First, let me explain to you what prostituting yeah. means. <laughs> I don't love the idea of sitting down with my five-year-old nephew and explaining. Yeah, that well, you know, depends on the kids. So, it does. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think so. One of my big soapboxes, I think, is. Um, allowing children to participate as legitimate interpreters mm. of the biblical text. So that what's happening a lot of times, I would argue, um, is that we're pre-interpreting the, the text for children in these children's Bibles because we don't want them to make a mistake. How many mistakes have adults made right. through the centuries? Right. And why are we scared of the kids making a mistake? Because part of interacting with the biblical text is a dynamic and iterative experience. Um, and and we can, maybe it's okay for the kids to 
interpret wrong, to interact with the gaps in the text. Maybe they're more capable of that than we think. And maybe they would have insights that we as adults wouldn't have. Um, One of the articles that I've read pointed out that um, the people who are writing children's Bibles are always adults. So it's adults interpreting for children. Um, Which you can argue, how would a child write a right, children's right. Bible, but it is an interesting observation, I think, and one one worth worth considering is is um, we we are coming in as the adults, dictating what we think children should know, um, should derive from the text. What if we invited them to participate more in um, in interpreting the text? What if what if um, we asked them our questions and and let them interact with those questions and maybe even answer our own questions. Um, So, so yeah, so I think that um, I would argue that I, that there's space for children to interact with the biblical text Um, in, you know, of course, in consideration with um, questions of what's appropriate in consideration with who the child is. Um, But what I, what I, I'm hesitant about is um, is altering the text for the child because the child is uncomfortable with something. Mm. So maybe a child is not comfortable with, doesn't like the violence of the biblical text. Um, that is part of the text, though. We can't shy away from it. We can't uh, look away from it. We need to look at it and be able to engage it and even be able to sit in our affective experience of the violence of the text, for example, and, and experience with the child. Maybe this is what we're supposed to feel. We're supposed to be disturbed by this story. Um, we're, we're supposed to be disturbed by the way that sin plays itself out in the world. Um, and, and so I think we can, in in the child's interpretation of the text, I think we can come alongside them as, as guides, maybe, um, potentially even as models for uh, kind of an Apolline sense of follow me as I follow mm-hmm. Christ. Like, watch me as I interact with the Bible. Uh, let's notice together. Mm-hmm. Let's ask questions together. Um, but I, I really I think that there is space for children uh, to participate as interpreters alongside of us. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you're saying basically just don't cut short the process for them as you wouldn't want to cut short for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a dynamic learning environment for for both mm-hmm. in that case mm-hmm. or for all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Rachel Wilkowski, thank you so much for your wisdom on children's Bibles of all things, who would have thought we needed so much discernment to think through this issue? Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Drew. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.